Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. This is Extra Time, a FAWSL fan channel. How are you doing today? We are recording on a, let me check, it's Wednesday. Yes, it's Wednesday, the 23rd of March recording, and this is your Chelsea Women Weekly Review uh, for this week. Uh, back with us, uh, this uh, this show is Rob Prattley back with the CFCW Social. He's a senior editor there to talk about the last week on the pitch for Chelsea. Uh, Rob, welcome back onto the program, and, and how you been doing? Yeah, thank you very much for having me back. I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, um, so we're going to just focus, you know, I, I just want to focus on this episode on the the matter on the pitch. Uh, we have two games to review, and I want to look ahead to actually, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, the day that we're recording is Chelsea women have a match against Tottenham today, which is actually really, I mean, pretty much every Chelsea match these days, Rob, is a is a crucial one for one reason or another yeah. uh, and so forth. So I want to talk a little bit about that, but you may be listening to this after the fact. So we will not be talking about the result of Tottenham. We're going to be previewing Tottenham. We're going to review the last couple of matches uh, that have been played uh, and so forth. So from a fan perspective, Rob, with all of these important matches that have been bunched up together, you know, I'm trying to, to fit in and have these uh, rescheduled matches, scheduled games in hand, FA Cup competitions, a game every three days. How's it been been for a fan as far as the of watching this team? You know, every three days. I think it's been actually considering the external situation um, at the club quite useful. It's been quite cathartic, and I think it's helped distract a lot of people. So in that regard, I think it's been sort of quite good. Again, increasingly, we know at all levels, the football calendar is becoming more congested. In the women's game, I don't necessarily think it's as much of a problem as it is in the men's game because of the extremely long breaks we've seen beforehand. Um, And I think actually, to be honest, you know, there is more balancing out of the calendar that can be done and should be done in the forthcoming. But I think at the moment, it's just been useful to have that sort of that buffer and that distraction. Yeah, I imagine it has been, and and the results, uh, as we'll deeper dive into, have not been disappointing at all uh, Mm -hmm. for Chelsea over the last week. Now, when we spoke last, that was immediately after, or relatively immediately after the the 1-0 Aston Villa result, which was sort of this cathartic, uh, you know, anxiety release kind of situation where, you know, late goal by Sam Kerr and you know, MA's running down the, the touch line to, to celebrate with the team. And, and with given the context of what was going on then, and, uh, you know, externally, you know, it came out onto the, that, you know, uh, catharsis uh, came on the pitch, but then there's more games to play. Um, so immediately uh, coming up after that was, um, you know, playing another league match uh, at away at Everton, you know, on uh, back, I think was what day was that? That was on Lost the 16th. Way. So it was one week ago. Uh, and that turned out to be like a three nil, three nil affair at, um, you know, at Everton. You know, there were goals, um, you know, goals aplenty in the first half. But what were your, I mean, what were your overall thoughts about, you know, Chelsea's performance in that match? Anything of note? Um, because I have, you know, I, I kind of been going back and forth about the performance of the team. But you, you tell me what you saw. I mean, to, to be honest, it was one of those games where Chelsea started very well, got the game won within 30 minutes. And then after that, I don't think they needed to do more to, you know, ensure the result. Um Obviously, the extended added time, uh, sort of half-time break that happened due to the referee injury, I don't think helped anyone. 
Um, and, you know, with the nature of the weather on the night as well, with it being extremely cold and extremely windy, I think it was more important just to preserve energy, fitness, and, you know, make sure you don't get any silly injuries. And I think that was the big, you know, the big thing from the game. The game was won. Everton weren't going to, you know, come back into it. It always felt like Chelsea had at least one or two maybe gears they could have found if they needed, a bit like against West Ham when they needed to sort of kill off the game. Um, and, yeah, it just sort of felt like that sort of that sort of principle applied. Yeah, um, you know, going into it, I think it's a matter of, you know, a lot of conservation and having such a deep bench that, you know, Chelsea has with people kind of coming back, you know, from injuries and things like that, which is, I think, one of the, actually the one of the important themes of the last week is players coming back and being able to come back out onto the onto the pitch to play, I think, is an important factor. And just being able to lay like, all right, let's, you know, we have, there's Everton, which we're talking about, and then the FA Cup quarterfinal with Birmingham, you know, mm-hmm. teams, you know, let's be honest, you know, Everton has been a really massive disappointment. Uh, I'm not even sure they showed up for this match in the first half. Right. Or was it Chelsea's brilliance? I mean, I think it was a combination of both. But, as you know, I don't think Everton – I mean, my initial impression was I don't. it didn't really even seem Everton showed up for the match, well, which I is not – I think Everton, in all honesty, because of the nature of the game, they came into it. And as soon as Chelsea got that early goal – it was yeah. sort of, again, you saw sort of the, the three different forms of Chelsea over the last couple of weeks. You saw right. in the Villa game, Chelsea being able to dig in and just get something done for sheer bloody-mindedness. In the Everton game, you saw what happens when Chelsea start fast, get a game won, and, you know, just effectively just knock the opponent out before they can even have a chance to sort of um, sort themselves out after a poor start. And in the Birmingham game, you saw what happens when Chelsea are able to get that goal right before, you know, a key juncture in the match and then therefore can change the game plan completely. Um, And I think that's, you know, that different level of that ability to change is what sort of has made it really interesting to analyse these last couple of matches. So has, do you feel like in, in, in trying to get into Emma Hayes's head and maybe that's not that easy to do, Rob, but do you think this is was by design? Was it by design to go right, uh, you know, for each match to kind of approach them a little bit differently from, you know, just from let's get ahead and get this game sort of won and done, you know, really quickly or, you know, and conserve energy in the second half, given, as you mentioned, the conditions on, you know, at Everton uh, last Wednesday and then looking at Birmingham saying, okay, let's kind of just kind of play this out. And then, you know, get that key moment in the, at the end of the first half and then kind of, you know, just go on massive, you know, attack mode in the second half to put the game away. Not necessarily by like direct design, but I think, you know, if Chelsea had got an earlier goal against say Aston Villa, I think they would have gone on and won that game by multiple sort of goals. Because I think, you know, if Chelsea had got a goal earlier, they could have gone on, controlled the game. Villa weren't really offering an attacking sort of punch. And it's very hard when you're 1-0 down to just keep defending at 1-0 down. You've got to start opening up. Um, Everton, I think their situation was more like, because they went 1-0 down, there were certain players that you saw mentally as sort of tired and just need the season to end. And as soon as you you start having that sort of approach, it means suddenly you're not closing down, you're not stopping things, you're not, you know competing in 50-50s. And that's when things like, you know, um, Guru Reiten's goal and Aaron Cuthbert's goal happen, when you're not closing players down and you're giving good players a chance to shoot from range. Because as soon as you start doing that, 
you open up the possibility that you know they're going to find the um, top corner. Yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll get to that uh, in a you know in a moment. Uh, but what I found interesting though, going you know just speaking specifically about Everton and and is the the lineup for Everton was kind of interesting because it looked like to me that Chelsea was kind of lined up in the three five two. Was that your observation? Um, partly, I think it was more of a sort of a very very fluid attacking system um, in that it encouraged players to get forward and to you know, move on, move on through the midfield and effectively join the front line, um, while at the same time pushing the full-backs or the wing-backs very, very high. So effectively, they played as de facto wingers. I've at times spoken before about this tactical shift you see of Chelsea when they're trying to choke opponents, where they will play, they'll go from sort of a 3-5-2 stroke, 3-4-3, to playing more of a 3-2-5 formation with yeah. wing-backs being so high that they choke the opposition full-backs or wing-backs, forcing you to then go inside. And as soon as you force players into that sort of inside position and those inside attacking positions, you come up against people like Penilla Harder and Jesse Fleming that press incredibly well. And you have the issue that you have behind you. You can't really go back to the goalkeeper because you've got Sam Kerr lurking, waiting for you know that poor touch or that weak back pass. Then you have to then try and start going through the middle which means you have to then turn and try and go through maybe Aaron Cuthbert and Sophie Ingle or Aaron Cuthbert and Drew Spence or Aaron Cuthbert and Jiso Young, who are both mobile and also read the game very, very well. They're good at cutting passing lanes. And then that means you end up going long. But if you're going long, you've got three centre-backs up against usually one striker or a couple of attackers. And so they're just instantly outnumbered. And I think that's, you know, you saw that choking system and that choking press really in effect in that first half against Everton. Um, I do think Everton didn't help themselves at times by the fact that, you know, they tried to play out from the back several times. It didn't work and they then didn't switch tactic. But at the same time, I think that was also because they thought, you know, they could play through the press and it was Chelsea's good work that stopped them doing that. Yeah, there were just, I mean, what I saw, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, what I saw was like a lot of numerical advantages all over the place. There were overloads mm-hmm. everywhere. And it was just numbers, you know, numbers in the right place, um, you know, with the wingbacks being pushed up so, so high and not then with a high press. And, yeah, I was just kind of flabbergasted that Everton didn't, you know, you know, did not switch up or, or try something a little bit different. But by the time, you know, but the thing of it is, to be fair, by the time it would have been, you know, time to do that, the game was lost essentially anyways, you mm-hmm. know, because the game was essentially over in the first 29 minutes, you know, when the third goal came in, you know, that was, that was pretty much it you know, because, uh, and, and as you mentioned before, you know, ever since the first goal by Sam Kerr, you know, that it's like, I think Everton just sort of dropped, you know, at that point, you know, it was like almost a TKO scenario. Um, speaking of like, we're using a lot of like <laughs> UFC references about choking and TKOs, but, but I think that's kind of what it was because you're, I mean, I, what I saw after that was just like, Everton just wasn't tracking anymore. And I think it's yeah. like, it started early that they, you know, after the first goal, they just started tracking less and less and less and less. And spaces were just being opened up all over the place. And then the quality of Chelsea's, you know, midfield and, and up front with the wingbacks and their ability to, to slice passes through and, and take advantage of errors that were being played in the back and things like that, just it just was overwhelming. Yeah, and that's what I think is the, the real thing that that game showed is Chelsea's ability 
when they take the lead to go and take a game away from a team. Um, and I think that's something we haven't necessarily seen a lot of in recent weeks, but we then saw it, you know, in perfect example in the uh, weekend game against Birmingham. Because as soon as Chelsea got the 1-0 lead against Birmingham and then got the second goal, they were then able to just go, you know, from the second goal, bash, 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 and suddenly you go from being, you know, 1-0 down on the 54th minute to by the time the 70th minute has uh, come around to or the 72nd minute has come around to being 5-0 down. Um, and, you know, suddenly a game completely goes out of you. And I think this is what I'm with Everton. Like, I mean, Chelsea could have scored more, possibly should have scored more in the first half. Um, I want to also make a point. I think, you know, Everton did rotate their goalkeeper. They did take McIver out of the um, starting line because she's obviously been in some, you know, um, patchy form this year. But I don't think you can really pin the blame on the fact that they took McIver out. I don't think, you know, this was a goalkeeping errors um, situation. I just think, you know, the entire side weren't playing in sync. They weren't, you know, mm-hmm. working it. Chris Roberts in his post-match interview sort of said that we didn't, you know, meet the intensity and the levels that Chelsea posed to us. And I think that's a good way to describe it. I, I totally agree with that too. Um, and, you know, it... it and th- and that's you know that really was the prevailing issue from for the majority of the matches it was saw- seen through, but one of the things that and I and I this also crosses into the Birmingham match is is having, you know having three different goal scorers you know yeah. and, and one of the things I've always been felt remarkable about Chelsea is that goals can come from anywhere on that Chelsea side you know like yeah. you can get goals from anyone on the pitch it's not like some teams that have like maybe one or two like they're they're the two goal scorers for the team this goals can come anywhere and I think it's really great that you know in in this match and also with Birmingham that goals came from different like diff- three different players you know Kerr Wrighton and Cutbert getting you know getting goals in this particular match you know in different form in different forms you know I think again speaks to uh you know just the you know speaks to the ability to you know just really as as we mentioned earlier choke opponents out because goals can come from anywhere there's a threat anywhere on the pitch for them um and that was what was really you know brilliant also, the other thing that was remarkable, because they got out to such a good lead at halftime, it did allow for Emma Hayes to do, make a lot of good substitutions to bring people off and put people on. You know, Magdalena Erickson and Drew Spence coming on, uh, Evangelina and Bethany England coming on later, um, in the and then very at the very end, Mielda coming on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think that given the fact that given the nature of the game and given the conditions and things like that, you know, it was it was great for Emma to be able to just all right let's just move be able to have make our five subs in the second half and bring some people off and bring some people on that really need some minutes yeah and I I agree I think it was important you know to be able to rotate in these two games um and Amy in the position to be able to rotate but also the ability to give key players time off when they normally wouldn't you know see time off um because Chelsea have got a very, you know, hectic schedule still sort of to play. And you know, Emma sort of hints at it that we need to be able to rely on more than just, you know, one or two players for goals. And in recently, I think there's been a bit more of a reliance of belief that, you know, oh, if I don't score, it'll be fine because, you know, Sam Kerr's scoring. But I think, you know, with the absence of Fran Kirby, especially, who does, you know, contribute sort of 
10 plus sort of goals, 15 plus goals in all competitions every year. It's sort of sharpened that. And I think now you're actually, what you're seeing is that Chelsea do have the ability to score more and more from other positions and situations. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's what has always made Chelsea dangerous. And, and, you know, in some of the games where, you know, sometimes Chelsea has had difficulty scoring. And I think, you know, I kind of felt in those situations that some of that many of the key players in those matches were, you know, maybe even trying too hard or trying for the perfect shot or for the perfect mm-hmm. goal or, or, or taking really ill-advised low percentage type of, uh, of shots, you yeah. know, and this wasn't the case with Everton because Everton, you know, sadly for them, they created so much space for Chelsea and Chelsea's passing was so crisp and, and well-defined in the first half that, you know, spaces were just all over the place and it made it, you know, and balls just happened to bounce in the right way as well uh, to put players in the position to, to score, but you still got to hit the shots. You still got to take mm-hmm. them. Right. Um, yeah. And that's what they did. Um, and so forth. So, um, and I think, I'm, you know, Emma Hayes also mentioned uh, and one of the post match interviews that I watched, uh, you know, she was, she did talk about the idea of everyone. We, I, this is the time of season where everyone needs to contribute because yeah. it's just, it's really fast and thick, you know, and we're in the thick of it now. Um, you know, and the, other thing the thing of it is is quietly and maybe not so quietly for Chelsea fans is like Chelsea's on a run of just you know of results um mm-hmm. you know just back to back to back results um dating you know being back pretty far so they're kind of on a run even though a lot of people may not want to want to admit that who was your uh player of the match for in the Everton match for uh for Chelsea in your in your mind it's difficult this because again there was sort of you know, I, I try and treat it as sort of forty five minute exercise really because I don't think it's fair uh, to judge yeah, any of the yeah. players on on the second half because I said on you know I was on a podcast like the London's Blue podcast um, last week and sort of said that because you know players were keeping fit and just staying you know I think as I said the added the half time break and the extension of that sort of killed a lot of the momentum and killed a lot of the impetus for the game add to the fact you know Chelsea have bigger fish to fry, I think right. killed it. But I think based on the first half, I'd have to say it probably goes to Aaron Cuthbert, um, not just for the goal that she scored, but also for the general pressing and the ability to press. And I think that's something Chelsea really lacked against Aston Villa, especially in the first half before mm-hmm. Cuthbert came on, is that mobility and that pressing from the midfield. And now that they've got a fully, oh, Chelsea are sort of nearing a fully fit squad, you're now actually seeing that they've got different options in that midfield. And I think that's what's been really lacking in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. One of the key statistics, and you just kind of pointed onto it that I thought was really interesting was the number of successful, successful pressures that the Chelsea midfield had, um, you know, with, you know, Jesse Fleming, Neem Charles, Cutbert, all having, you know, nine, 10 and 11, um, you know, successful pressures of getting, you know, getting the ball um, or repossessing the ball, multiple, you know, tackles, Cutbert had three, one tackles, um, Girl Wrighton had three, one tackles as well. You know, so sometimes what does go unnoticed sometimes is that, you know, the defensive effort. And you mentioned it earlier, just the defensive effort obviously was there. And anytime you get a clean sheet, there had to be a, a defensive effort. Um as well um keep you know as far as key passing is concerned i always look at you know the goal you know goal contributions as well as the shot creating actions and um hold up here yeah and sophie engel had led the team with six shot creating actions during the match um you know jesse fleming 
you know, uh, had two assists, had three goal creating actions as well. Um, that was obviously also pretty key there. So, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of different uh, superlatives all over the place. But, you know, Cuthbert definitely is a good shout, um, you know, as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the solid game in the first half. I think it was kind of cruise control in the second half, which I think was a little, it was like a kind of a happy accident, so to speak, yeah. um, to be able to have that happen. Um, you know, Everton really just did not offer much after the first goal. Um, and, you know, it was, I think the term that was used, I think Cuthbert mentioned after the match, she said on Chelsea TV, I believe said something like it was a professional performance was the yeah. kind of the, some semi cliched thing, but I think it fits here. I think it yeah. fits. this was a, a professional performance, particularly in the first half, which is what also Mays noted um, and three uh, nil and move on to the weekend. So then we go to, you know, to Birmingham city. Now Birmingham city, I'm not even going to get into the whole thing with them. I've mentioned it over and over and over again. I'm not going to repeat myself about how I feel about how Birmingham City is run and how they've treated their team and all this other stuff. But, you know, and the results, unfortunately, have shown have um, really shown what it is that's happening. But which is unfortunate for the players and and staff involved there, really. Uh, But this was a 5-0 win. This was the FA Cup quarterfinal um, at Kings Meadow. you know, I, we've, you've touched on, Rob, briefly on your thoughts on this game. But, we're, you know, given the, the situation, given the cup quarterfinal, given it was Birmingham, how do you feel like Chelsea performed in this one? A very different match from Everton. Yeah, a very different match. I mean, it looked like in, in the first half, I think there was, you know, a bit of frustration, maybe mm-hmm. some teething problems. Chelsea rotated quite heavily again, um, right. brought in a lot of players that had limited minutes. I think there were... Some poor misses as well. Um, but I think, you know, there always felt like a... It always felt like Chelsea were in control without not necessarily scoring would be right. the description. I don't think there's ever a point the game wasn't out of control. And again, I sort of turned to the people I was at the match with at the time at about the 40th minute and said, this will be one of those games Chelsea will either score in the next five minutes and then the second half will be an absolute breeze. Or it's going to be tight and nervous like the Aston Villa game. Thankfully, this time around, Chelsea did choose to score in the next five minutes. Um which is, you know, good for my blood pressure and my heart. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was sort of one of those games. And once Chelsea got the first goal, it was going to be a case of being able to go on. And, you know, mentally, I think the first goal in games, like that is so, so important. When teams come to um, King and Meadow and just try and, you know, put in a solid defensive performance. Because if you, you know, do that and you do take a point, then it's obviously a very well-earned point. But as soon as you concede, then your entire game plan needs to effectively be ripped up. And you need to start playing on, you know, counter-attacking, which you haven't planned for. And obviously, when you start trying to play on, you know, or playing attacking football, then you leave yourself open to the counter-attack. And that's what Chelsea is so effective at. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and the benefits of having, you know, such a, you know, a deep squad and players that are that are coming back from injury, uh, you know, plays an important part. And so the, basically the same type of setup formation-wise, the same sort of, uh, you know, look like the same uh, offensive plan, um, but just having that rotation. I mean, Berger, you know, uh, Berger starts at, at goal. Millie Bright, Erickson, Carter in the back three. Your wing wingers, Charles and Anderson. The midfielders, Spence, Ingle, and G. And at the top, Fleming and Bethany England. I mean, so that's definitely a rotated squad, but a squad that that on paper should you know fairly 
easily, you know, win. Maybe some, you know, we've seen rotated squads with Chelsea kind of struggle, particularly in the beginning of matches at times, um, mm. and cause some some heart issues for people, uh, and then uh, only to be kind of rescued at the end. Um, but this was not the case here, um, and it was just so important, you know. Yeah, Chelsea really dominated the first half as expected. Birmingham really did try to be as you know as they try to start off and like they have you know like they have done in some of the matches where they've kind of stuck up on people is they try to be very resolute very organized and structured and try to withstand the onslaught uh and the thing that was really uh huge um actually with that was it, it's like but you kind of knew that eventually that chelsea goal would come it's just yeah. but it, it, it but as many fans I've talked to you about this team, they're like, they get a little bit more nervous when it gets to like the 40th minute and they haven't scored yet, even though they've completely dominated the game. <laughs> because they're like, is this one of those games we're not going to score and we're only going to get, or only get that one goal and, you know, and so forth. But that was quickly eliminated after the first half was over. But yeah, it was, must've been a relief that, you know, that first goal by Erickson, you know, was chipped across, um, you know, England gets the assist on that with a header, um, you know, and that was at, right at the 45th minute mark. That was so important to get that goal, um, yeah. you know, right at, you know, right at the end of the half. And it, um, it also, it, it's one of those, it's the sort of goal that I, I, the cliche is true, but it does completely change the halftime team talk because suddenly one team is going in, you know, a lot more buoyed. They've got the goal. They can start thinking about, you know, going on and, sort of winning it and obviously Emma doesn't need to worry necessarily about making immediate attacking changes um, because there were a lot of players warming up and looking like they were possibly coming on half-time before that. Um, On the other hand, for Darren Carter, obviously suddenly, you know, the game plan's got to completely change. You aren't saying, you know, well done, keep it up because if you want to stay in the competition because it's knockout football, you've got to say, actually, you know, we've got to go out and sort of fight back. And, you know, that is a... From a mental point of view, that's difficult, especially when you've not been able to show much attacking impetus throughout the game so far. Yeah, and that's what I mean. That is the you know that is the prevailing weakness for Birmingham City is it is really not having a lot of offensive firepower, and the only typically the time where they they do score is on like you know counters and set pieces um, and things like that. So you know if you do get way on top, unless you're Arsenal, uh, get way on top against Birmingham, then you know you pretty much have knocked them out, um, you know, but, you know, as Arsenal kind of proved to be click off against anybody for 15 minutes, you could, you could run into some problems and run yeah. into some mistakes, but Birmingham, you know, the thing about Birmingham, any, pretty much any WSL side, which is what I like about the league right now is that you try to, you click off for 20 minutes against a WSL side, you know, you are liable to get punished for it, you know, um, and it can happen. So you got to be on, um, you know, which kind of what's ma- is making this league much better. But we had a, you know, we had a milestone. We had a milestone second, you know, second goal of the match. Drew Spence gets her 50th uh, from an assist from Charles. Um, so that's big, right? Yeah, it was, it was a sort of big moment, I think, Um Again, Drew Spence is one of those players that I think a lot of people at times forget how long she's actually been at Chelsea and sort of the longevity that she has shown to the club, the loyalty she's shown to the club. Um, there's debates about whether she is, you know, a legend. I personally think you know, if you spend that long at a single club and you also go through the period of growth that Chelsea have gone through, particularly when early in her career, Spence would have had a right if she wanted to to jump ship. 
Um, I think probably I weigh more on that side. I also think it's, you know, it's always useful to have players like Drew Spence in the squad because they're not necessarily going to start every single week. But when they do play, you're assured of, you know, a solid, dependable performance. And they're the sort of players, I think, you know, when you have them in squads that achieve things, you don't necessarily notice them and think of them immediately. But then you actually think back on the trial and think, actually, you know, you couldn't do it without Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I've never seen, you know, I have not yet seen a time where I've seen Drew Spence on the pitch and not been, you know, and give a disappointing performance. She seems fairly reliable, but I haven't, I obviously haven't been watching this team as long as you have. So you would know, definitely know a thousand times more than I do. Uh, but yeah, anytime you get like a milestone goal there, that's great. And, and, um, you know, and, and, but it's always good to have a, a squad player like that, that, it, that, you know, is dependable, They you know, and is, um you know, because, you know, we know that some players don't want to be sitting on the bench, uh you know, for the majority of games. And sometimes they, when they get that chance, they don't present well uh, with that, but that's not the case. It seems with Drew. Um, mm-hmm. She seems to come out and, and, and put a solid uh, effort in and a performance in, um, you know, but that goal was in the 55th minute um, and the run was on at that point. You know, this is one of, again, one of those matches we've seen with Chelsea where, you know, they get the first goal. Then pretty soon after that, you had that halftime intermission, intermission, but, you know, right at it in the second half. And it just led to that onslaught of, of goals from, you know, the 55th minute on to the 72nd. But, you know, Bethany England gets a couple of goals in there. Uh, you know, G with a nice little pass, you know, up the middle, slipping it through to Charles. And then the goalkeeper comes out, but the ball bounces away. Um, Drew, right into the Drew Spence. Drew Spence, I'm sorry. It was a back heel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it just right into the path there um, for the goal. And then, um, and then the fourth goal comes in um, England again, the four or five nil at the 70, 72nd minute um, from the top of the box after going, going right past the defender. I mean, solid, solid second half performance. Um, you know, again, opportunity to have players on the pitch that, you know, are, um, to get minutes uh, with a rotation, given the quality of opponent, 72% possession overall, 25 shots, 11 on target, 5-0, game set, match, done, 5-0. Um, any real standout from your mind in watching this, any standout performances that um, that maybe we, we haven't mentioned? in this? I think the standout really for me in the last couple of weeks has been Neem Charles um, stepping mm-hmm. in at right wing back, especially when Erin Cuthbert's been injured. She's been playing so well this year when she's been deployed at wing-back um, and has now been playing really, really well in central midfield. But I think Charles is one of those players that people, she's perhaps at times faced a bit of tough love for Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes has never been um, never been shy of how much she rates Neem Charles and has been very, very clear on her thoughts on Neem Charles. But for a lot of the season, Neem Charles has struggled for minutes. Um, right. And I think that's because... You know, obviously performances of Aaron Cuthbert and also sort of more before that when um, Jess Carter was playing sort of wing-back. It's meant that Charles has possibly had to, you know, bide her time, wait for minutes, impress in her cameo performances. But I think ever since the Asia Cup, at least, when, you know, before that, I think Erin just got her first injury, um, it's become sort of quite clear that Charles fits the wing-back system really, really well. She's very, very quick. She's got a good delivery on her. What I think she really excels at is the um, 
ability to be a real attacking threat from the wing-back position. And she is good defensively. She is, you know, solid enough defensively. But I think it's, you know, that confidence that she's gained from a regular run of minutes. She's now doing things that she wasn't necessarily doing before, like sort of shooting from long range, as we saw against West Ham, or getting up and in and around the box, as we saw against um, uh, Birmingham at the weekend. And I think also, you know, it surprised me to hear that the assist... um, for her, for Drew Spence was her first assist of the season. Um, it was a real shock to me because I associate her as being such an attacking sort of threat. But I think that's sort of the main thing is that quietly Emma's trying to develop this core of players and younger players at Chelsea that can sort of seamlessly come in. I mean, I'd probably say at the top of that bracket, you've probably got Erin Cuthbert, who I think is now 25. Uh, she's 23, actually. So she's only going to be turning 24 in the um, sort of forthcoming. But I, uh, you know, you've got her, you've got Jesse Fleming, you've got Min Charles, you've got Alto Abdelina, um, other sort of, you know, players in that. Um, so Aniak Nurman, Zakira Musovic, who I think is a little bit older, I think she's 26, 27. But in that bracket of age where they can sort of come in and they're all going to hit peaks around similar times. And so it's that element of forward planning. And Lauren James is another one you can sort of put into yeah. that. And I think it's that aspect of forward planning. And I think that's why this summer, if I was to start, you know, predicting what business Chelsea do, it'll Mm -hmm. be looking at maybe a Jess Carter as well. She's like, I forget with Jess Carter that she is still incredibly young for Mm -hmm. her position, considering she's been around for, you know, I think eight, this is her eighth senior season, but, you know, she is still only 24. Um, and I think it's, you know, when you look at, yeah, I mean, her first senior appearance was 2013. So she's now been around for sort of, you know, nine senior seasons, but she's still only 24. Um, and I think, you know, Chelsea will be looking at the midfield position and central midfield and saying, can we bring in a younger, maybe more dynamic sort of passing midfielder, someone who's a bit more, you know, in the GSO young mould to replace her in the longer term. Um, they've got the talented young, you know, Wardlaw, Georgia Fox, um, mm-hmm. Uh, on loan, Amy Claypole, um, Emma Thompson, who've been performing you know, well when they've come into the senior squad and have been training well. And I think it's, you, it's interesting to see that sort of that succession plan in place where Chelsea, I think, are quite assured what they want to do. And they're maybe bringing in players a little bit earlier than they'd like to. For example, I think they'd have liked to have given Lauren James another year at Manchester United. But I think they're trying to bring in the players at the moment that they want because they're the names Emma wants for that right. building plan and putting those building blocks in for the future so that when the time comes and if they need to, you know, drop into the system, like Nim Charles has this year, they're already fully familiar with what the system is. Yeah, and I was just like looking at the roster, uh, you know, the Chelsea's roster, and and there are, you know, seven players that have played, you know, a good amount of, of minutes. Uh, well, not maybe not a minute and as far as having appearances that mm-hmm. are under the age of 25. You know, Jess Carter, Jess Fleming, Aaron Cuthbert, new one, Nim Charles, Abdulina, and you throw Lauren James in there with, um, I see like four appearances, I think, overall in the league, I think, yeah. um, so far. And they're all of which, they're in that bracket of 20 to 25 range. Uh, Georgia Fox is only 18. Emma Thompson's only 18. So that's up and coming as well. Yeah. But yeah, having a crop of, you know, it's, 
you know, I always, I think it's always a good point. And I think you always, if you're managing a team long-term, you're always looking for like, okay, they're going to be players that are going to move on. And do I have young players that are ready, that we're getting ready to step in when said player for whatever reason moves on uh, and so forth, um, you know, let's get this crowd ready. And so when you've got a good crop of really strong crop of people between 20 and 25, even younger, yeah, that's benefit. And all, all the players I just mentioned are solid. I mean, all of them um, yeah. and how are solid contributors. I mean, you know, Cuthbert's played, you know, over a thousand minutes this season, you know, Jess Carter's, you know, a, 1200 minutes so far this season, um, you know, contributing, you know, a, a ton of minutes and, you know, Charles and Nguyen and Fleming all have contributed over 700 minutes so far this season. So, you know, it's a good, you know, definitely a good bit of time getting them ready. Um, yeah, there's so, also, you know, people yeah. that are like in their prime right now. I think, you know, yeah, yeah exactly. Liverpool's Kirby, England, mm. Sam Kerr, Panilla Harder, um, Again, the goalkeepers is a little bit different, but you throw, you know, Berger in there, Magda Eriksson, John Anderson, who uh, Marami Elder probably sort of coming towards the end of that period. And so I think, and Giso Young as well in a similar sort of boat, where you've got the players that are in that sort of, um, that bracket and that situation. And so they're sort of going to be around to Mm -hmm. sort of see the next group in. But at the same time, they're going to face a very credible threat, for want of a better word, to their starting position. And I think, you know, you're starting to see that with um, sort of uh, the, the centre-backs. I mean, I think I think Nowen is unlucky at the moment in that I think Magda Eriksson will come back in more in this run-in because of her experience and her nous and the fact she's the captain. And I think right. it will be beneficial to have her on there. But I think, you know, in the time that... Now and has been on there and has sort of stepped into that space. It's become really, really clear to me that you know you um, you've now suddenly got a really uh, a really sort of you know core base to build from. And if you bring in the right sort of you know two or three players, you end up with a very sort of young squad. And that's why I'm not surprised to see you know Chelsea being linked with people like on a badger uh, on a badger. Um, again, I've actually bottled uh, sort of bottled that pronunciation there, but Badger um, uh, 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 Manchester United because she's I think twenty three, sort of around that bracket. She fits firmly into that you know into that group. There's going to be a lot of uh, stuff to cut out uh, since we just lost you know two minutes uh, there. So we're going to have to do some editing. Where Rob, you back with us? Sorry, I was sat there. I was just sat there in silence. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, I just I lost internet connection, which happens from time to time. So I think we missed out on. We were talking about like with uh, Chelsea having a ton of players that were uh, that are you know at their you know um, at their peak right now um, mm-hmm. in that age where they're in their prime, and a, a small number of players, but key players uh, that um, you know that that are you know getting closer to, you know, there, um, there's like four players, five players that are over 30, um, you know, on the side that, and, uh, and you were talking about how, like, you know, someone like Nguyen's been kind of unlucky, you know, with the fact that, you know, like Erickson's coming back in, she's probably going to play more, um, and so forth, um, which makes sense, but 
you know, that's, that's kind of what happens with teams like this that are very, very deep. Um, and, you know, but the young players need to be ready. Uh, mm. So let's move on. Like, so immediate thoughts, like, uh, so into almost instantaneously semifinal draw, Chelsea gets Arsenal in semifinal. Your thoughts on that? At the end of the day, I, I was, uh, I'm work on the basis that Chelsea, we're going to need to play at least two very good sides. Um, you know, I was expecting it. I was pleasantly surprised it wasn't Manchester City again in the semi-final because, you know, I think we were all preparing the uh, sort of, you know, edits and the gifts saying we will face Manchester City away at Etihad Campus in the semi-final of the cup competition. Um, obviously, it's, you know, going to be... I, I mean, this is a genuine sort of serious way. I think Chelsea versus Arsenal this year has been the um, most competitive games. It's been the best games. Right. I think they've been the two, you know, outstanding sides this year. And I hope that... Both fan bases can, you know, put aside the fact that there is a rivalry to enjoy what should be a really good game. Obviously, there will need to be a winner at the end of it, so it won't be like the recent league fixture where it sort of ended sort of um, nil-nil. Obviously, you know, Arsenal won the game at the beginning of the season. Chelsea won the FA Cup final sort of in December. So I think it's, you know, anyone's game. It's really balanced, and I just hope both sides have, you know, a fully fit squad, have no distractions, aren't, you know, dealing with other nonsense and can actually focus on a proper sort of, you know, resolution in a way, in a proper sort of battle. Um, someone's asked me if I think it will play into like, you know, the title race. In all honesty, I don't really think so because I think by that point it will sort of, you know, teams will be able to separate it and it will be completely separate. But I think, you know, it's worth saying both sides will really want to win. Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, semi in a cup semifinal, uh, you know, you just kind of throw everything else outside of it out the window because um, then, you know, you get a chance to go to a final. Um, and yeah, it should be an absolute silent game um, moving forward. Uh, yeah, I was partly I was expecting Chelsea City again, but that didn't that did not happen. So maybe that's a good thing. Um, but going back to today, again, we're as I mentioned, we're recording this on a Wednesday this this evening. Uh, you know, Chelsea plays Tottenham and by the end of the night, Chelsea could be back on top in the league, Rob. Mm. I mean... They could be. I think it's, it's going to be one of those interesting games again. I think you know, it'll be interesting to see how Tottenham approach um, this week. Again, I've done an article on this, but Tottenham have become the interesting sort of kingmakers, or I suppose it should be queenmakers mm-hmm. um, okay. in, uh, right. in this league. Because obviously they play Chelsea tonight. I think mm-hmm. if Chelsea win, it probably ends Tottenham's hopes of finishing third. Because I think mm-hmm. the gap is going to be significant. And I've said to someone else, I don't think Manchester City is, you know, going to stop winning games. I think they're going to continue winning them. I think they've been buoyed significantly by the Conti Cup um, triumph and also by the fact United have dropped points elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So then their attention folk turns to focus on the North London derby. Going away to Arsenal is going to be tough, but potentially they could go there on the basis that if they, lose to, uh, if they were to lose tonight, but then beat Arsenal and Chelsea beat Leicester, then suddenly they have a real chance to give a massive bloody nose to Arsenal's sort of title hopes. Um, At the same time, they've also got to play Chelsea again at home in a few weeks. And if they were, you know, potentially got a good result tonight, then that game against Chelsea in a few weeks could be a massive one for them getting UWCL football. Um, I maintain whatever happens. I think Raheem Skin has done a fantastic job at Tottenham um this year I think you know she's done the sort of job at Tottenham that a lot of people expected Willie Kirk to do at Everton um and I said this to you know a few people however 
I do think it's getting to that point now where Chelsea are just going to go in and try and get stuff done by hook or by crook. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know, it's fair to say that Tottenham, again, with their sort of plus seven goal difference, they're not a particularly high-scoring side. They're strong from a defensive sort of point of view. Again, they've you know scored only 19 this season, which is exactly half the number of goals Chelsea has sort of scored. But at the same time, they've only conceded 12, which means they've got the third-best defence sort of in the league. Um, but they have sort of been quite... Oh, sorry, 13. Um, no, sorry, they've conceded... Uh, yeah, conceded 12, sorry. They have been in patchy form, though, sort of recently. And I think, you know, Chelsea will be looking at that from their perspective and thinking that if we can sort of go into this, I think Chelsea will be looking at the fact that if they can go to the top, suddenly that creates additional pressure on Arsenal. Because all the time through, Arsenal have been leading the race. In contrast, if Chelsea do slip up sort of two tonight and whether they, you know, win, I think if they lose, they probably, you know, know the title is over. Um, barring, you know, Arsenal losing at home to Tottenham, which I couldn't see them losing. I could see them possibly drawing at the Emirates Stadium, um, depending on a couple of factors. But I think if it's a draw, then it, you know, means that suddenly it stays in Arsenal's hands. Um, I am pretty confident that from a, you know, Chelsea point of view, that they will be able to go out and get it done in theory. However, I think, you know, in practice, a lot of it will depend on how Tottenham set up on whether they come just to, you know, to defend a nil-nil, because I don't necessarily think for them that's the best idea. Um, mm-hmm. I think they need to show some form of attacking impetus, because again, it's, you know, it's their game in hand too on right. Manchester City and on, you know, Manchester United. And if they lose, again, if they were to sort of lose tonight and Manchester City win their game in hand, and suddenly the gap to um, third place remains sort of four points, but Four points is a, doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot in this division. Right, right, it is. And, you know, Tottenham is, to me, Tottenham is one of those squads that, you know, have, you know, kind of used the analogy of hooking by crook kind of uh, saying, and that's kind of what Tottenham to me has done, you know, all year is finding some type of way. They don't have much attacking infl- uh, impetus, as you mentioned. Uh, they are, they try to be very, very solid in structured defensively and basically what um what has been done is basically one of those situations where i really love where the manager is to basically said okay this is the squad i have this is the what they can do i'm going to utilize this to the best of their ability and put in a system that's going to fit right for them because i know what i have we're not going to be like an offensive juggernaut going on the attack and so forth so we're going to do it this way based on what i have and so making Mm -hmm. the best of what she has is made um uh made uh this situation like a really top side so far because they're not they are who they are i mean they're not going to be something they're not because yeah. you know which you know some managers will try to go in there and implement a system that doesn't fit with the players that is not the case here um they're quite physical at times uh i think there are times where and i i'm not saying that this is wrong but i do find that with tottenham and some of the matches or most of the matches actually i've seen is they've kind of tried to test the physicality level that the referees will accept um you know in terms of how they you know how they tackle how they you know you know get physical with their opponents and they will see kind of where the line is um and kind of nudge a toe possibly on that line and so forth i'm not saying that 
this is wrong. I'm just saying this is their style. That's what they do. And they like to frustrate opponents that way. And, and, um, and they like to try to find a way defensively to uh, frustrate, um, you know, and make it difficult. And I think they can make it difficult for Chelsea. But the thing of it is, given where Chelsea's at right now and given, you know, their ability, the fact of the matter is they've been able to rotate the last couple of matches. Um, they have a, they have goals in mind, you know, just like it's the league and the cup. That's what they got. And this is a huge opportunity to, to, to move forward. It's obviously to me, Chelsea has too many weapons. You know, we talked about it earlier, a lot of weapons all over the place. And I think at the end of the day, there's too many. Mm. Um, I, you know, um, depending on how the, how this game is called, will kind of determine how physical and in and you know, how much of a grind it could end up looking like. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I see Chelsea pulling, a, pulling away. Uh, it may not be one of those four nil kind of scenarios. I'm, I don't imagine that, but it will be, you know, it, it will be a solid win. I would yeah. say. I, I will say, I think Chelsea, I think Tottenham in order to get me out of the game, I do think need to score first because I oh, think, obviously, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, you saw it in the North London derby earlier this year where they scored first at home at Hive and then they were able to make it really tough and really difficult and frustrating for Arsenal. However, at that time, they did also have, you know, a full complement of their squad to pick from. I think they have got some injuries at this moment in time and they've also been, you know, it's coming towards the end of the season, you know, tired sort of legs, tire binds. We saw it against um, when Rahan Skinner was first uh, appointed as Tottenham manager last year. We saw that really interesting um, away game at the Hive last year for Chelsea. Um, right. Well, you know, sort of about 20 minutes, the game plan sort of worked perfectly and they were able to really frustrate them. Then I think it was Sam Kerr scored sort of a half chance. Chelsea got a second one quite quickly afterwards and sort of killed the game. And it wouldn't surprise if it was another match a little bit like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I would not be surprised either. And the thing with Tottenham is they've gotten results against teams they should get results against, you know? I mean, it's like they got, you know, they got a result with Reading. They got a win over Birmingham. They got a win over Brighton, though that was 4-0. They got wins over teams and gotten results over teams that they should have, um, you know, they should get. Um, some questionable results, you know, kind of 2-1 loss to Brighton early in the season, you know, losing 1-0. But again, they don't have a lot of scoring impetus. Um, you know, there's only been one time they've scored more than two goals, uh, which is the 4-0 four, the against Brighton uh, and so forth. You know, and, you know, they they only lost 1-0 to City, you know, who's on a run. So, you know, they can make it difficult. They really can. And and I can, I keep fumbling over, um, you know, Rianne Skinner's name because every time I think of Skinner, I think about the United's coach, also the same last name, no relation. Uh, so I was like, that's why I didn't mention her name. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. But um, I do, yeah, I do expect Chelsea to win, but I, I, I expect it, it's going to be, it could be a really tight game. Really could be a tight game. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, and they got, both teams got so much to play for. That's, that's mm-hmm. the cool thing. So we got to run. Thank you again, Rob, for for joining us this week. Yeah, pleasure as always. 
All right, um, everyone, please take care of yourselves out there. Uh, later on, uh, we're going to be recording the Arsenal Weekly feature coming up later today. Uh, and then we've got uh, Mark coming back uh, talk about United, to, you know, and recording tomorrow. Uh, and somewhere in the mix is going to be Kate coming back on with City. So we'll see how that goes. So in meanwhile, you know, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves out there. Uh, watch the space for uh, the additional shows that are coming on this week. So thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening. Please share with your friends. Please let people know uh, if you really like what you see and what you hear. So meanwhile, take care of each other out there and we're going to be out on three, one, two, three.